This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, everybody. How you doing? What's up? Welcome to episode 291. Talk Buffalo podcast presented today by our friends over at 26 Shirts. Big thank you as always to everyone out there for listening, downloading, supporting the show. really means a lot to me. Not going to waste time here at the top, folks. I got Ryan Talbot with me today, Buffalo Bills writer at NewYorkUp.com and also the co-host of the Shout Buffalo football podcast with Matt Perino. Great show. These guys have really thrived during the season. More on that a bit later. But anyway... What's up, Ryan? And you know what, dude? You know that I live near Tampa, right? I do, yeah. I'm well aware. I saw some of your takes on it yesterday, in fact. <laughs> well, I'm on the outskirts of Tampa. I'm like, if this was Buffalo, I'd be living like close to Rochester. Like between Buffalo and Rochester. But outside of Buffalo, but not far. But anyway, so I'm on the outskirts of Tampa living here. And I am... Very much to my chagrin now. I got I to gotta say this, man. I'm living in Titletown, Tampa. It's what it is. I hate it, buddy. Titletown, Tampa, though. These teams down here are just unbelievable, and they're winning, and it, it kind of makes me sick. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not happy at all. Well, I don't blame you one bit, you know. Uh, sometimes it brings out the diehards, and sometimes it brings out a whole other type of fan base. <laughs> you ain't lying about that. And again, I mean, let's just review here. So you got... The Tampa Lightning defending Stanley Cup champions. You got the Tampa Rays who made it within one game of winning the World Series. And now you got the Super Bowl champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now you referred to Twitter um, over the weekend and I haven't been shy about it. I'm not going to be shy right now because, yeah, this is my, it's my worst nightmare because with respect to a handful of Tampa fans, and I even made a comment after the game, I said, congratulations to the six Tampa fans out there that were Tampa fans three weeks ago. It's there is not a fan base, Ryan, in the United States. And you're not saying this. I'm saying this that deserve to have champions, plural, let alone singular, less than this sports market. It is the worst fan base in the United States. I don't need to live in every market to know that it's just terrible, bro. Bandwagon, hoppers and i think to people like us and our families and our friends who are just such diehard bills fans live and die with everything and these fans down here dude they don't care until their team gets in the playoffs and in the championship contention and then they start to care it's just i could go on i could do an entire podcast about this i probably should get off of it well, it's understandable to be frustrated because you mentioned it. I mean, you look, you look at the Buffalo Bills fan base and uh, that team went through quite a bit. I mean, from worried about being moved out of Buffalo at one point to one of the longest droughts in NFL history in terms of making the playoffs, 
Uh, a lot of misery, yet this fan base was devoted. They were there week in, week out. Uh, they love this team. They love this franchise. And then you're right. You look at these other fr- franchises, these other teams that win titles. And obviously, you know, the players can't control what their fan base is like. And, and you feel good for those players that win. But when you get these bandwagon fans that, like you said, they jump on when they get to the playoffs or the championship game. Uh, I've seen so many fans that were quote unquote New England Patriots fans, but now they claim to just be Tom Brady fans. So now they're over here with uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on that uh, roller coaster. You know, it, it it can be annoying for for a someone that's a, a diehard fan or or from a market that has diehard fan bases. I actually felt the same way last year when when I went to Houston for the playoff game for the Wild Card Weekend game with the Bills. Uh, and the night before the game, Matt and I had to stop in the mall to get some dress shirts and things like that. And I didn't see one single fan wearing Houston Texans gear. Now, had they won a game or two, I think they would have been decked out in it come, you know, AFC Championships, Super Bowl time, stuff like that. But no, not a soul. I mean, Houston Rockets, Houston Astros, a lot of that stuff, especially the Astros. Uh, but nothing for the Texans, and it was a playoff weekend. It was the night before a game, so that was wild to me. You know what? Maybe we're spoiled, maybe because we came up in the Western New York market and rooting for the Bills, and the fandom there is just off the charts. Maybe maybe to a detriment, but again, maybe we're spoiled. Maybe it's like that, like it is down here in Tampa and other cities, and I'm just unaware. And again, so I watched the Super Bowl Sunday. Did you watch? Where'd you watch the game at home? Yeah, I watched that at home, yep. So just a low-key. Yeah. Well, I went to a a Legion post. We have a couple good friends here, and they had a a big Super Bowl party. And I want to at least be fair here in my criticism. Nothing against older people whatsoever, but generally speaking, an older person is a little more reserved than us youngsters. Well, we're not young either, but you know what I'm saying? It's just a different kind of vibe. And like, Tampa, who completely dominated the game. We'll talk about that game for a few minutes as well. But it's like, I just think of Buffalo being in the Super Bowl and, and people would be literally, forget just going to tables. They'd probably be lighting themselves on fire to get to a Super Bowl right now in Buffalo. And every play would just, you know, the crowd would just be so intense. Like Tampa would score a touchdown and you'd hear some, you know, some clapping like, yay. You know what I mean? That's just that kind of vibe. And had they lost, so the game ended at, what, 1030, probably by the 11 o'clock news, the average Tampa fan would have already moved on and forgotten about it. Now, of course, there were some people partying downtown in Tampa. That's with every city. I don't know. It's just, uh, it bothers me. Maybe it shouldn't bother me. It just, I just think of all the, the agony and the suffering and the heartache that a Buffalo fan goes through in a lot of other cities. Cleveland, I mean, there's a lot of them. And then just a city like this, it just gets handed Tom Brady and, uh, you know, handed championship. Well, they didn't get handed. I mean, they played well and they deserved to win. But just the fan base, I should say, it's just so undeserving to have this type of thing to cheer for. It uh, just makes me sick, dude. But anyway, uh, like we're going to. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend some time just in a few minutes. I got 10 Buffalo Bills takeaways, my biggest 10 takeaways of the season. And then I want to get Ryan's take and insight. I need you to So we'll get to that in just a couple of minutes, but I do want to spend a few minutes anyway, talking about this game and Tom Brady. I mean, you got to give it up to him. And I, I know you do a 43 years old, 20 years with the Patriots, his first year with Tampa Bay. This has been, and, and again, it kind of pains me to say it, but I'm not going to lie about it. 
is this one of the most impressive things you've seen? Because this is a man right now who went on the road. He, he, not just him, I mean the team, but beat Drew Brees, beat Aaron Rodgers, and then goes back home in the Super Bowl and, and beats Pat Mahomes, a seven-time Super Bowl champion, five-time Super Bowl MVP, 43 years old. When he signed back last uh, winter with Tampa Bay, I don't, realistically, I, I didn't see this happening. I don't know if you did, but it, it's just unbelievable what this guy has just done in the NFL. It's crazy, ain't it? Yeah, it's beyond crazy, and I'm not going to sit here and say I saw them winning the Super Bowl. I thought they had the talent to make a run in the NFC. I, I mean, you have Chris Godwin. I'm a huge Chris Godwin fan. They have Mike Evans. They end up getting Rob Gronkowski out of retirement. Uh, I had some questions about the run game, but obviously when you have Tom Brady at quarterback, that makes running the ball a little bit easier, and it, Ronald Jones finally showed uh, what the, you know, the, the running back that he could be, something that people have been waiting for. And even Leonard Fournette, obviously, uh, had a great game in the Super Bowl, but even he was getting better as the year went on. So I, I can't sit here and say that I saw that happening. Uh, Brady definitely wanted to prove that uh, the success that uh, New England had for decades plus, I think a lot of the, the majority of it had to do with him. And, and obviously he proved that this year, winning a Super Bowl with another team, while New England obviously... Uh, sputtered and failed to really even be a serious threat in the AFCs for most of the season uh, because their quarterback play was below average. So kudos to him. Uh, You know, I was talking about this earlier today. What hasn't that quarterback seen, though? So I don't think you can phase Tom Brady. You You can confuse him for a period of time. Uh, but eventually he's gonna he's gonna put some points up on the board and he he just was so cool, calm, and collected, you know, after getting stopped in that first series of the game. Uh, after that it was a completely different game, it looked like. He he was just being able to deliver the ball from the pocket, get hit his guys, his guys are getting open, getting yards after the catch, that first touchdown uh to Gronkowski. Uh, it, I don't want to say it was a rub route, but Mike Evans timed his route perfectly where the player that was supposed to be in coverage on him was not even close. So it was an easy walk and touchdown. They were just clicking on all cylinders and, and Brady obviously deserves a lot of uh, credit for that. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, so the defense I thought was, and I, and I've talked about this numerous times on the podcast, the defense was, and I still think is the strength of this football team, but I, you know, I got, again, I got to give it up to Tom Brady because I know I tweeted about it a few times, like in the earlier part of the year, I thought the dude was washed up. In fact, what might be my worst tweet ever, if somebody really wanted to search it, I think I might have even said at one point that I'm not sure how much better Tom Brady is than Matt Barkley because he just, and again, I'm stuck down here in Tampa and I see all the games and I, you know, watch all the the news and the the reports and the highlights all the time. He just didn't look good. And then that game happened against Kansas City, the first meeting, ended up losing 27-24. And again, Brady had two interceptions that game, did not really uh, play all that well, although he played better in the second half. But anyway, my point was Tampa was 7-5 after that game, and then they went into a bye, and I'm pretty confident, I'm almost positive, they didn't lose another game after that bye. Now, going into the playoffs, they really didn't have any tests. I'm looking at their schedule right now. So they beat Minnesota, Atlanta, uh, Detroit, Atlanta again to end the regular season. None of those teams are really world beaters. Then they had to go on the road again at Washington, at New Orleans, at Green Bay, and then this game. And uh, from a Buffalo Bills perspective, I know fans were very much divided whether 
They wanted the Chiefs to, to, to win the game because they just simply hate Tom Brady that much. And frankly, I was kind of on that boat. Or, you know, the, a lot of people were pissed off at the Chiefs the way the game went a couple of weeks ago, the Bills AFC Championship game. So there were a lot of fans who were rooting for Tampa. As I look back now, Ryan, I'm kind of glad the game played out. Now, before that, though, for the game itself, I mean, you're going to say this as well, I would, I would think. Pretty boring game, wasn't it? I mean, everything to me about that game was boring. The game itself, no drama. I shouldn't say boring. It was just lopsided. So there was no drama. Uh, I didn't like, I, I like Tony Romo. I'm a big fan, but he kind of was off a little bit. Uh, the halftime performance, I liked the weekend, but that shit sucked. <laughs> At least I thought it did. It was really frantic and chaotic and just weird. It was just, I don't know. It's just one of those nights, again, you know, I'm just happy to be alive and safe and that there was a Super Bowl, so I'm appreciative of that. But the game itself, wasn't it? Did it, it certainly led drama. Like, were you kind of a little bit bored? Yeah, I mean, it was one of the, I'd put it right up there in terms of recent Super Bowls with the Rams versus the uh, Patriots, that 13-3 to game where I was kind of bored to tears as well. And, and it's just one of those things where some of these games get so much hype, and this game was getting so much hype because it was Mahomes versus Brady, and even though it's not really Mahomes versus Brady. But, you know, that's how they played it up for two weeks, the greatest of all time versus the, the quarterback that could one day eclipse him. It was this tiebreaker in their series, so to speak, because one year in the championship game, the Patriots won. Uh, then, obviously, KC won last year, and now you, you get this game, and then it was just an absolute dud. Uh, you're right. By, by the fourth quarter, I mean, even probably midway through the third quarter, you knew that game w- was over. It was a 22-point lead, and even if the Chiefs had scored at some point in the third quarter, I was sitting there saying they're struggling so much to move the ball where – you know, against Buffalo and against a lot of teams this year, they made it look effortless where they could they could do no wrong. They could move the ball with ease, put up points at any time, but it was a real struggle for them last night. So they weren't getting those two-minute, three-minute touchdown drives that you saw during the regular season. They could hit on a big play, and boom, it's over. Uh, the, the Buccaneers just played them perfectly on defense. You couldn't ask for a better game plan from Todd Bowles. And... Because of that, like you said, it, it lacked any kind of drama whatsoever. Well, I mean, I picked the Chiefs to win, and I had them winning by two scores. And I'll say this, and it's always, of course, it's easier to be the Monday morning quarterback. It's not that I didn't think Tampa could win, but in my wildest dreams, and you hit on a lot of this, I didn't think the Chiefs would struggle, especially after watching that offense as much as we had the last couple of years, including two games this year against Buffalo, where they just looked effortless on offense. I mean, you said it right, dude. They had to literally fight for every single yard on that football field. But again, as I look back in hindsight, as much as the game was like, meh, I didn't really care for the game itself. It, it kind of bored me. But from a Buffalo Bills perspective, I'm glad it played out because I feel like Sunday night provided like the, the quote unquote blueprint for how to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. And that's having a pass rush. Um, that's having a, a tight end who can make plays, um, being good on the offensive line, and being able to run the football. I mean, Tampa Bay did all of that excellent against Kansas City. Uh, they ran for 145 yards. Uh, Gronk had six catches, two touchdowns in the first half. And then, I mean, we all saw with our own eyes, that front four with, with Shaq and JPP and, and Adamica Sue and, 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 and Vey. I mean, they just completely dominated. Now, a Kansas City Chiefs team that was missing two tackles, and obviously that hurt. 
But anyway, is that like your takeaway? And again, then we're going to get into some Bill stuff back to this. But I just look at it to me, it just feels like the blueprint. And we'll get into more specifics about the Bills and their roster going forward. But doesn't that kind of feel like this is the way to beat the team? Or can you also just say, you know what? The Chiefs just played really shitty football. I mean, it does happen sometimes. And unfortunately for them and their fans, this was just, they saved probably the worst game they played in two or three years for uh, the Super Bowl. But it felt like the blueprint to beat them, don't you think? Yeah, I think there's a lot of pieces there that uh, the Bills and every team can take from it. Now, obviously, easier said than done to actually pull it off. Uh, because to have all to be able to replicate all that, you know, it'll be very difficult. And obviously, uh, the Chiefs won't always be missing their offensive tackles, which you you mentioned. I mean, Eric Fisher's loss was was evident in that game. Um, Mahomes, they said, ran for 497 yards in that game, running backwards, side to side, things like that. In terms of the, how they tracked him on the field all game long, he was running for his life. And it just goes to show you, no matter how great this quarterback is, and he is great, uh, he looks a, like a lot or a, look, a much different quarterback when he has pressure in his face. He almost delivered some spectacular passes, falling down off his back leg, just avoiding a tackle as he threw. Uh, but there are drops or just some misfires here and there. But he looked completely different in that game. So, yeah, there, there's some blueprint on both sides of the ball. Uh, I think Buffalo... Their, their inability to run the ball against the Chiefs certainly hurt them both times this season. But you can't knock that too much because passing the ball is what brought them to the dance. It's what brought them to the AC Championship. I don't think they, they're going to go and change their mentality because of one, you know, one really bad playoff loss, even though they also lost pretty handily in the regular season despite making it look pretty close towards the end there if they would have been able to get the fumble from Justin Zimmer, etc. Um but I think they would like to have a more reliable run game when they play them, and that starts up front, though, with the offensive line. You need some some guys that can uh, – some, some power guys. They, they have some finesse. Mitch Morse is more of a finesse at center uh, where he's good at pulling, he's good at doing certain things, but he's not going to be that guy that uh, bull rushes you over. So there's obviously a blueprint there, but how much does Buffalo want to overhaul their roster when their cap space is limited? Uh, where, when you're wondering who can replace these guys or what's in store for their future. So I, I do agree that to a certain extent that was a, a blueprint last night. I also think that Kansas City delivered a dud just like uh, Buffalo did in the championship game against KC. But the last thing I'll mention is it, it just goes to show you how different teams are built or stacked up to face off, off against other teams. Um. Browns fans were, were talking a lot, uh, at least to me this week, about, oh, well, the Browns played the, the Chiefs so much better than Buffalo. You know, they're clearly a better team than Buffalo. Uh, I had a few people. Not a lot of Browns fans, a few. And, and that's that's foolish because that's just the way the Browns are built. They're, they're built better to slow down Kansas City. But I could turn it around and say, well, the way Buffalo is built is, is the better way to stop a team like the Ravens who – blew out the Browns in the first game, put up 40-plus on him in the second. So the way teams are built and the way they face off, it's completely different. If the Bills had been in that Super Bowl last night, I don't think Tampa Bay scores 31 points. I don't know if that's a hot take or not. But Sean McDermott has played against Tom Brady pretty well in his career when since coming over to the Bills. Obviously, that didn't translate to a lot of wins, but if you look at Brady's stat line, most of those games, he, there wasn't much to write home about. So 
teams just match up differently. But yes, the, the, there are you know long long answer to your to your question. There's definitely some things the Bills and a lot of teams can take out of that game and say, hey, we need this. And obviously for Buffalo, first and foremost, we need to get pressure from our front four. All right, let's take a quick break. Want to let you know that today's show is being supported by our friends at 26 Shirts. So you guys already know the deal with 26 Shirts. They roll out a new Buffalo-themed design shirt every two weeks, and that shirt is tied into a specific charitable cause, and they sell that shirt for 26 bucks. Here's the really cool part about what they do if you didn't already know. For every single shirt sold, a donation is made to that affiliated cause each and every time, each and every shirt. Since opening up their doors for business in 2013, 26 Shirts has now managed to raise and donate over $1 million to these causes. It's just unbelievable. Del Reed, that crew, they do such an amazing job. They enrich the lives of so many deserving people and causes. It's awesome to see. And by the way, these are really outstanding looking design shirts. They're comfy, they're sporty to wear, they look great on you. I have a bunch of them myself. Head on over to 26shirts.com and see what cause needs you this week. All right, Ryan, I want to get into some Buffalo Bills specific content here. So after the season, I came up with what I think are my personal biggest takeaways, 10 of them regarding the Buffalo Bills in the season and going forward in the future. And one of the reasons why I want to have you on today is because I'm very interested in your reactions and in your takes and your insight uh, to what I have to say. Now, and, and then, by the way, these are, these are not in like any specific order from most to least important. They're just 10 things random uh, that I wrote down. And one of them for me regarding Josh Allen is he's without question now the franchise quarterback. That's a big takeaway from this season. The guy we've been waiting for since Jim Kelly. And I feel like he has one more step in his progression. He needs to play great in the postseason for a sustained period because he, he played good against the Colts. But anyway, during the regular season, again, he did everything you could want and more um, out of a quarterback. Nearly 70% of his passes were completed, which to me, that's just amazing. Over 4,500 yards, um, what, 45 or something like that, complete touchdowns, passing and throwing, only 10 interceptions. Also only fumbled nine times, still a problem, but in 2019, he fumbled 14 times. So he's getting better at that. And then again, but the playoffs. So he was great against Indy. He was all right against Baltimore. That's all he needed to be was all right. The defense was dominant that game. And he was, eh, okay, against Kansas City. That's not good enough to beat Kansas City, though, especially if your defense isn't playing well. So basically what I'm saying is I love Josh Allen. He's the franchise guy. There's no more debating that anymore. He's the guy we've been waiting for for a long time. He improved his first year in the league. It was, can he play in the NFL? Then, then it was, well, can he be accurate? Can he throw a deep ball accurately? He answered all those questions. I think he's got one more left. And I, I think it's that he needs to play at the same level in the playoffs that he often did during a regular season. I don't think he quite got there yet. But to me, that's the next level that he needs to get to to be. And again, I mean, how much better can you play? He was, finish second in the MVP voting. But I think he needs to play better in the postseason for the Bills to get to the Super Bowl. No, I think that's fair. I, I think that's a fair criticism about the playoffs. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that take. I think that Josh Allen, 
answered just about every question you could in terms of, is he a franchise quarterback for this team? The answer is now yes. But can he get better? Yeah, he absolutely can get better. But I, I think part of that progression is just simply experience and time on the field. Um, I, like I said about Tom Brady, I mean, he's been around forever now. He's seen everything. Josh Allen still hasn't seen everything. Uh, go to the AFC Championship game. The Chiefs were using four safeties. That wasn't something that he was used to seeing this year. So that probably played a role in, in his struggles overall in that game. Uh, and, and I don't actually think he was that bad. I think the wide receivers struggled to create separation. I think that the officials, not to, to get off subject here because the officials are not the reason the Bills lost that game, but the officials let the Chiefs play a very physical style of football where last night in the Super Bowl, they were flag throwing flags for just about anything that the, the Chiefs did with any kind of physicality. So fair um, point. I think there's something there. And, and then just one more thing about the Ravens game. The one thing I'm going to say about the Ravens game is if you go back and watch the third quarter, the Bills put together a long touchdown drive to open the third quarter to get that uh, 10 to 3 lead. And then the Ravens matched it right back with an extremely long drive where I want to say that Taron Johnson's pick six touchdown came with about 40 seconds left in the third quarter. So I think the third quarter was legitimately two series. The Bills putting together an extremely long series and then then the Ravens matching it. So I think that Allen, if it was a normal game where you didn't have two drives where both teams almost went the length of the field, I think his final stat line would have looked even better. It would have looked more like what we saw the regular season. You already mentioned he was the best player on the field against the Colts. So I, I think his postseason was pretty solid as well. Now, not to the level of what we saw week in, week out in the playoffs, what we saw in week 17 against the Dolphins and what we saw early in the year uh, against the Rams and all those other teams that where he started off on like a house of fire in the first four weeks. But yeah, there, there's another level to be to be seen there, but it's just going to come with experience, reading defenses, uh, knowing what to do when there's a, a blitz coming from a certain area because there are still some blitzes that tricked him this year. So I just think it's more of an experience thing. But, yeah, I expect him to be in the MVP race year in, year out now uh, from this point on. That's how impressive he was this season, and that's what I think he can do every year now. It blows my mind, and I agree with everything, every single thing that you said, but it blows my mind that you just said, and I've said, and I agree with you, that we expect Josh Allen to be in the MVP race every season going forward for the foreseeable future. I don't think that was anybody's Tony year ago, including ours, because he had so much to prove. It just goes to show you how far he's coming. What, just one year. I can't remember many quarterbacks in the NFL that have ever improved as much as Josh Allen has from year one to year two and then to year three. It's just remarkable to even have a tone of a conversation, you and I, that we consider Josh Allen next year, you know, a front runner for MVP consideration. Yeah, and listen, there's a lot of people that deserve credit for Josh Allen's uh, ascent in these first three years. And obviously, Brian Dable and his play calling, uh, trusting Josh Allen, throwing the ball so much this year, putting that faith in him is big. Ken Dorsey, uh, who obviously was you know, linked to a lot of offensive corner jobs, didn't get any, um, deserves some credit there. Obviously, Jordan Palmer. But at the end of the day, Josh Allen, every offseason, has put in that work 
working with Palmer, working with his receivers, knowing that there's things he needs to improve upon. And while Palmer obviously has guided that and brought in people to look at his um, release, look at how he's throwing the ball, which played a big role in, in, in well and how well he played this year, getting the the footwork in the, the shoulder and the hip and all that in, in the right sink or in the right motion that obviously played a role. It's Josh Allen since year one, since day one, that's put in that work. He's going to continue to do that. He's not a guy that's just going to settle with what he did this season and be happy with it. He's going to keep trying to go out there and be better. He, I think he wants to prove that not only is he on Patrick Mahomes' level, that he can one day eclipse that level because – you know, in, in terms of natural ability, I think Allen has more of that than Mahomes. They they are pretty even in arm strength. Allen's a more powerful guy. He he's more mobile. He's a better runner. There there's areas where Allen could end up. Uh, he already is better than Mahomes, but he he could level the playing field in some of these passing areas and and actually maybe eclipse Mahomes. Someone that people were already looking at as being someone that could maybe challenge Tom Brady for the greatest of all time. Well, one of the many reasons that Josh Allen was able to ascend to where he got to was Stefan Diggs, which leads to my next takeaway. And that's, and I know this might get a couple eye rolls, but I think Stefan Diggs may end up being the best wide receiver the Buffalo Bills have ever had. Now, going to the stats, and I know that stats can be deceiving, especially in today's NFL where you throw the football so much more and guys get on your receptions, you know, like it's, uh, like it's nothing. And Diggs had 127 catches, 1,535 yards, which led the NFL in both categories, um, shattered franchise records. And also his receiving yards and his receptions were the most in NFL history for a guy spending his first year with the team after coming from another team. Now, obviously they can, now I'm talking about Andre Reid and Eric Moulds, obviously. Okay. That those are, that's the, that's the, the, the barometer to, to measure them. I mean, Andre Reid's best year with Buffalo, he had 90 catches, and he only had two other years with 80. Eric Moulds had eight very good years with the Bills. He had 100 yards in 2002. And I know that consistency and longevity is ultimately what we're going to judge him on. I mean, it doesn't take a smart person to come to that conclusion. But like I said, you know, Andre Reid was very consistent throughout his career. He's a Hall of Famer, for Christ's sake. You know, he was a great player so in Souls Moulds, but I see Stefan Diggs literally on that level. Some guys, and you know this, Ryan, a lot of guys have phenomenal seasons and then they might regress a little bit in the next year. And then a year or so after that, they, they pretty much fall off that we see that a lot. I don't see that with Stefan Diggs. It's just, when it comes to him, it's like, when you know, you know, this guy does everything, catches balls in traffic, gets down the field. One of the best route runners in the NFL, a very underrated blocker, um, you know, and the team loves him. You know, he came here from Minnesota and there were some question marks because of his history there, but I thought he was a great teammate. His teammates love him. I just think he can go down as being maybe the best receiver this franchise has ever had. I want to get your, your take on that. I know that's a pretty strong thing to say, considering that you got Andre Reid on, the, you know, in, in the history of this franchise. That's how I feel though. Yeah, well, he has the same DNA as Josh Allen in terms of the competitive fire, in terms of wanting to be the best, uh, in terms of wanting those opportunities, and he got the opportunities this year, and he thrived. Like you said, led the league in receptions, receiving yards. He was, you know, he, he wasn't up there at the top of the list in touchdowns, 
Uh, but I think that when you got down to the red zone, that was the number one guy to try to take away. But even a- across the field, in a week-to-week basis, teams are trying to take him out of the game plan. And, and more weeks than not, he ended up with at least six catches, and he went over 100 a lot. He was at 90 a lot. He was he could get open no matter what defenses were trying to do. So, you know, going to your your stance there, yeah, I, I mean, this is a completely different league than those um, early Super Bowl Bills teams and the you know '90s, early 2000s Bills teams. This is a pass happy league, and as long as there's not any kind of injuries that derail his career, I think he could end up having the longevity, having the stats where you could sit here and say, yeah, this guy is the best receiver in this in the team's history and you mentioned it uh, Andre Reed's in the Hall of Fame for a reason if you flipped Eric Molds with uh, Marvin Harrison in terms of their situations I truly think that Molds was would have been a, a Hall of Famer he just never had that consistent quarterback me he too had some, he had some decent guys along the way for a year or two here or there but he never had a Peyton Manning he never had a Jim Kelly on a regular you know Jim Kelly in his prime or anything like that um, so if his situation had been changed we'd probably be talking about another Hall of Fame wide receiver, but no, I don't think it's crazy because uh, you you look at the landscape. One, no one's going to challenge Diggs for the number one wide receiver job. Two, very good chance that John Brown is not on this team next year. Uh, you're expecting obviously Gabriel Davis to step up as wide receiver two. You're looking for Beasley to continue to be Beasley in the slot, but Diggs is going to get his looks. He's going to get his targets ten plus per game uh, a lot next year and, and in the future and. The scary thing is they're probably going to get better next year because they're going to have a full offseason to work together. They're going to have that you would like to think the NFL is going to have the OTAs and, and a full training camp and a lot of the stuff that Allen and Diggs did not have last year. So you get them more in sync than they were uh, one year ago where the miscommunications become you know less and less and all of a sudden the, the numbers that he could put up could even eclipse what he did this year. Next year, there's going to be a 17th game, so I don't think this is an extremely hot take, but I wouldn't be shocked if he eclipses receptions, receiving yards, and touchdowns in year two with Buffalo. Yeah, for sure. And like I said, statistically, I know that could be deceiving or especially putting too much stock into one year. But basically what I'm saying is he's not going to be another perilous price. Respect to perilous. He had a pretty good career besides 2002 when he was awesome. I, I just see him continuing to ascend and stay there. When it's all said and done, he could be the best. But anyway, I want to move on. So those first two, not really, you know, controversial. Josh Allen needs to play a little bit better in the postseason. Stephon can end up being the best. This one, I have no idea. You might completely disagree with me, but I think the Bills need to do better at running back than Devin Singletary. I see a lack of trust in this guy. Forget the stats. I think he averages like 4.4 yards per carry this year. It's not bad. But beyond the stats, I see a lack of trust. And this goes all the way back for me to that Houston playoff game. You were there last year in Houston in 2019 covering that game. He didn't, the Bills, of the last 24 plays that the Bills ran, Devin Singletary saw zero carries. They don't trust him. Um, That drop pass against Kansas City was huge. He was barely seen from again. After that, we know that they tried to sign Le'Veon Bell during the season. So there's a lack of trust. Zach Moss getting injured. I, I think that injury might have hurt a little more than we gave credit for at the time. We're like, all right, well, we still got Devin Singletary. But I, I think that Moss injury hurt more. I could see a situation where Moss is either your two or maybe your one B. 
and they go out and they do something, whether it's via the draft, free agency, I don't see a trade, but you never know. But I think they're going to try to upgrade Devin Singletary this offseason. And worst case, I don't think there's a trade market for him, but I could see him being maybe next year if he's still on this roster because there's no financial reason to get rid of him. Maybe he's this year's, or I should say next year's TJ Eldon, where he's just there for insurance purposes. But I think if he's going to be your 1A, I don't think that's good enough. And I think the Bills need to do better. Yeah, I don't know about 1A, but I think he can be a good compliment. I'll, I'll say that. As a rookie, it was 5.1 yards per carry. Um, he, he looked elusive in open space, despite lacking that gear that uh, could take it all the way down the field. He still showed up a lot for the Bills as a rookie. I, I do think, though, there are a lot of factors. And you mentioned it, a lack of confidence. I think that takes a toll on a running back, too, because I think he knows uh, or, or knew that the team had a little bit of a lack of, of faith in him because they didn't utilize him as much as they could have. A short or, leash, or, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th- that went both ways. If you look at the San Francisco game, Moss was off the field for the majority after he fumbled coming out of the end zone early in that game. Um, when, when Singletary fumbled earlier in, earlier in this year in a game, he was off the field for a while. And you mentioned the drop catch, he was off the field. You know, Sean McDermott, uh, especially at the running back position, he doesn't really play games. If you make a, a crucial mistake, you're going to be on the sideline watching for a while. I, I just want to say that I can't pin a lot of his struggles this year on Singletary himself. The Bills made a conscious decision this offseason to build the offensive line around Josh Allen, the passer. I want five guys that can block up front and give Josh Allen time to deliver the ball. And, hey, mission accomplished. Uh, He didn't take a lot of sacks. There were some games where he barely was hit. He was able to spread the ball around. He looked fantastic. But if you look across that line, Deion Dawkins, he he can run block. Uh, Ike Butker, I, th- I think that the the jury's still out if, in terms of what he can do. He came in. I thought he played well this season. Um, they obviously kept him around for quite a few years because they liked him, but there, there's still not enough tape for me to really know what he can do. I mentioned Mitch Morse is a finesse guy. He can pull, but the, you know what they were trying to do this year just really didn't work in terms of his blocking up front. Feliciano is a solid blocker. I think he might be one of their best run blockers. He definitely gets the most fired up about it. And then Daryl Williams, he's really good in pass protection, and and he's an average at best as a a run blocker. If they go out and they get some maulers in the draft, if they get some guys to compete in free agency on that line that are more physical-type players that win the job, uh, or Cody Ford claims one of those spots because everything Brendan Bean you know, he said in his end of the year presser, sure made it sound like he still has high hopes for Ford. If they can get the right blender mix, I think Singletary can be a very productive back, but I think they're certainly fair to question whether they have a 1A on this team. Zach Moss even had his struggles. He had his games where he was averaging three yards per carry or less. He had flashes. He had bursts. By the end of the season, he seemed to be their go-to back. The guy that that they really wanted to step up and be that guy. But I'm, I'm not even sure that he's that player. Now he's going to be coming off of an ankle injury. Um, so it wouldn't shock me if they went out, but I just feel like they have so many other needs to address guys that they need to resign that they might come into this season again with Moss, with Singletary, 
Um, Bills fans will be thrilled for me to mention that I think Christian Wade will get a legitimate shot to make this roster next year because there's no more uh, exemptions there for him. So it's going to be make or break year for him. And every fan thinks that that guy is Walter Payton uh, just waiting on that bench. No, they don't think that highly of him, but they love the guy. (laughs) And uh, actually, I'm a big fan of Antonio Williams. Uh, I, I think and it's, and it's not just based on that Miami game. I was I was seeing his praises uh, a lot early in the year in terms of what I thought he could do for this team, and, and he showed what he could do in that Miami game. Miami does not have a bad defense by any stretch of the imagination. They were playing for a playoff spot. I know that by the third quarter when he really came in, they were down 28-6, something like that. So they probably saw the writing on the wall that they weren't going to win that game, but he just powered through those guys. He has a little bit of speed mixed in there. Um, even though if you look at his stats in college, they're not great. This was a four-star recruit that was supposed to play at Ohio State. Didn't get the opportunities that he wanted to there. Transferred to UNC. He's someone that was their UNC's special teams player of the year. So I could see him having a, a, a the TJ Yeldon role next year. But if those two backs that I mentioned, Moss and Singletary, don't deliver, I, I wouldn't think for a minute that McDermott, Bean, and company, uh, they wouldn't hesitate to give Williams a chance to take on a bigger role. Let me ask you this one question here in regards to the draft. Now, I'll have you on before the draft, and it's impossible to answer this question right now because you don't know what's going to happen with the roster leading up to the draft, where they might have holes and maybe they don't have right now at this moment. But when I look at free, and for the record, so we're clear. I don't think Devin Singletary is going to be on this 46. I know it's a 53 man roster. I think it's 46 active on game day. I'm going to predict it right now in February week one. I don't think he's one of those 46 guys, but anyway, we, we both know that they're not going to go out and spend significant money in free agency, especially on a running back. I'm saying, uh, Kenyon Drake's probably the biggest name out there. So I'm going to ignore them, but let's just say with the, with the draft coming up, if a Travis ATN or and Najee Harris were on the board at 30. Do you think the Bills are going to give long consideration? And again, I know this is an unfair question to ask you in February because you could come back and say, well, what did they do with tight end? Or what did they did they get rid of this guy and did they replace him in free agency? So I understand that. But do you think an ATN or a Harris could be a guy that the Bills could be interested in all the way up at number 30 in the first round? Well, like As you things said, stand. Yeah, like, like you said, not knowing all those other questions. Yeah, I do because... The one thing I'm going to say is that those are players that are going to be, those two backs are going to be the best two backs on the board in the entire draft. At least that's how they're projected to be. And one, if not both, is a good chance will be there at 30. So running back is one of those spots where you, you could probably get the best of the best at that position uh, at 30, where you can't say that about edge rusher. You can't say that about cornerback or linebacker. Uh, positions that the Bills may be looking to address. So, yeah, I I think they would be in play. Now, would it be wise? I don't know because you're not going to change your philosophy overnight. You're still going to have Josh Allen as the focal point of this offense, as you should. Um, But if you feel like when you are going to run the ball and you need to get those hard yards, if you think that either of those backs can do that as a rookie, then, yeah, uh, definitely consider it. Give it a, a long thought. Uh, because that you know that's one of those pieces that we are saying the team might be missing to really be the uh, legitimate Super Bowl contender and in the Super Bowl next year. 
when it comes to it, because this is the next point I had, and I'm just going to gloss over this because you already had out a lot of it. Um, my takeaway was, so there's Deion Dawkins and then a bunch of question marks going forward on the offensive line. Dawkins is set, but then Feliciano's a free agent. Ford's coming off an injury. He's got plenty to prove. Darrell Williams is an unrestricted free agent and tackle. Um, Morse, the Bills could save like almost $5 million in cap room if they were to cut them. So instead of getting your take on that, because you already addressed that and you agree that there's definitely question marks going forward after Dion, what do you, I don't want to say predict, because again, a little bit too early for that. What can you see happening with this offensive line? Because we don't know if Feliciano is going to be back. We don't know if uh, Darrell Williams is going to be back. And we don't know, frankly, if the Bills are going to keep Mitch Morris. Like, what do you see happening with this line? Do you see a lot of change? Or do you see them meeting as an organization and saying, I think this line can improve with Cody Ford back there next year as well. Let's try to keep this unit intact. How do you see that playing out? Well, there's going to be an opportunity for change. I'm going to say that because every year, Brendan Bean has brought in a plethora of linemen uh, and, and given them opportunities. And while I don't think they have the cap space to bring in every offensive lineman under the sun, like it feels like he's been doing these last few years, I think he's going to give guys opportunities. Ryan Bates has been in the system for a while now. So, you know, maybe he's going to be that guy that gets the opportunity to step up on the interior if there's an, if there's an open spot. I think you're banking on the development of some of these players. I'm not sitting here saying that Trey Adams is going to be ready to uh, take a tackle job next year. But if if uh, Darrell Williams leaves in free agency and you draft someone to be the other tackle, let's just say by day two of the draft, and you have Ty Inseki, you know why can't Adams be in the mix at least to, for some playing time there? A big part of Buffalo in, in terms of what they need to do this offseason is trust the development process because there's not enough money to go around to be spenders and address all those needs. You need to hope that those flashes you saw from Dane Jackson were legitimate and that he could possibly be cornerback number two if maybe your top target or two is not there on the board at number 30 or in the second round. Uh, you need to hope that what you saw to Gabriel Davis is sustainable where he can be our our, number, our second outside receiver uh, because Diggs is Diggs. Beasley's going to be a stud as usual. He doesn't have the same skill set as John Brown, but hey, we can go out and we can bring in a John Ross, uh, a guy that we don't. We're going to tell him, listen, you're not going to be in every uh, game starter. You're going to have limited reps, but we want to stretch the field. We know that's something you can do. You have injury history. We can sign you to an incentive-based deal, and you could still contribute for us. Or Kenny Stills, anyone that can stretch the field but will come in at a lower rate. But at the same time, you need the development to continue. You're going to bring in someone, I think a veteran, and I don't want to go down too far on your list, uh, to compete against Dawson Knox. But you expect Dawson Knox to take another step. So it's got to be a mix. It's got to be a blend. But going back to your question about offensive line, if John Feliciano returns, I wonder what that does mean for Mitch Morris because yeah, I, I still sit there and I say Brendan Bean wasn't blowing smoke about Cody Ford. He, he expects Cody Ford to start next year. And if Cody Ford starts, I, th- I think that they like him at guard. I, I don't think that they want to kick him back outside to tackle. If they did, well, then that solves the Daryl Williams issue, and that'd be great. Um, but I, I think that they like him on the interior of the line. So if you bring him back, well, then you're not going to be paying Feliciano money to be a, um, 
a reserve, he's going to be a starter. So is he going to go over to left guard? Is Ford going to go to left guard? Is Butker the odd man out? Or are you going to let Feliciano play center, a spot where he did play, a spot where he's confident in his abilities, and a spot there where Buffalo seemed to want to see what he could do there at one point this season. So if he comes back, do you cut Morse and make him a post-June designation? I don't know. These are the decisions that Brendan Bean has to make. But I think Feliciano is going to be one of those first big dominoes in terms of if he comes back, that might mean that Mitch Morse's time is over. Uh, Daryl Williams. Daryl Williams earned a lot of money this season uh, based yes, on his play. Now. His play in the championship game against the Chiefs left a lot to be desired, but when you look at the grand scheme of things, you look at his age, he's still in his 20s. I think a lot of people, uh, it feels like he's been in the league longer than he has, but he's still a relatively young guy. He's just had some injury concerns in the past. Uh, I think that he might end up pricing himself out of Buffalo's market, which, you know, that that's what happens when you have an unbelievable season like he did. But I wouldn't be shocked if the Bills were able to go out and find someone that could come in and push for that job uh, against, you know, whatever the Bills do, whether it's drafting a guy at 30, uh, whether it's giving Inseki a shot. I think they like Inseki as a reserve role, very limited reps because of the age, because of the wear and tear on his body. Uh, But there's very difficult decisions to be had on that offensive line. Yeah, I completely agree. It's going to... That position, it's not a sexy position, but it's obviously very important. And we saw that more than ever with the Super Bowl. And again, the Bills definitely have some question marks there going forward. I agree, especially about Darrell Williams. There's not a lot of teams in the NFL that have a lot of cap room this year, but there's enough. Somebody is only going to take one team that's going to pay this guy maybe even above market value. And if that happens, I think he's going to be gone. Um, My next point here, so there was two points or two takeaways, I should say, that I was really looking forward to getting your take on. One of them we already covered with Devin Singletary. And this is the other one because I think this is kind of a hot topic and it will be this offseason for sure. My takeaway is that year three is crucial for Ed Oliver. And look, Ryan, I am very, I'm painfully aware of how deceptive stats can be, especially on defense and especially when you play the defensive tackle position because you're asked to do different things. I get that. but. That said, I don't think asking for more than six tackles for a loss and three sacks and one forced fumble is too much to ask for from your, what, ninth overall pick from 2019. And I hear about the double teams, and it's true, and I understand that. But you know what? Aaron Donald and DeForest Buckner, all these other star defensive tackles, they guess what? They get doubled a lot too. I know that stats don't tell the whole story. But I expect, at least I expect to see more from Ed Oliver than I've seen these first two years. So my takeaway is that next year is a very critical year for his career uh, with Buffalo. What's your thoughts on that? No, I agree completely. I think year three is the make or break year for most players. Um, You know, maybe with an exception for a a guy like Edmonds, who is so young still, and he was so young when they drafted him, he might need that. Uh, another year to really get a good idea in terms of make or break. But to your question about Oliver, I want to see what he can do with a true one technique next to him. Uh, The the Bills really struggled to find that this year. Uh, I watched a lot of games where I was getting, I was seeing tweets on my timeline about at Oliver is a bust. What did we bring out Oliver in for? What's he doing out there? 
And when I was watching the game, I, I saw him pushing the pocket back. I saw him getting pressures on the quarterback. Uh, I, I saw him doing more than a lot of the defensive linemen on that team. It just wasn't showing up on the stat sheet, something you alluded to. So I, I think he's been a lot better than some Bills fans want to give him credit for. But you still need to see it put into action next year in terms of more sacks, more pressures, uh, making run stops in the backfield. It's got to come together next year across the board. And a star Latulale at one technique, that should help. Uh, he, he can still kind of clog up the, 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 the blockers, take on two guys, free up at Oliver, free up some of those linebackers, let them be able to create a little bit. And if not Latulale, if he decides, boy, I really like that year off at home, I have a lot of money in the bank already, I, I think I'm going to stay, stay retired or I'm going to retire um, I, I think the Bills then can at least go out and shop and find a one technique that can be a difference maker for them, which then opens things up. But yeah, I, like going back to your question, year three is crucial for just about any high draft pick just because that that is the, okay, year one, uh, maybe you didn't play much because we already had a veteran there or you played a lot but there were and there were flashes, but you know we don't know what to expect with that because you're young, you're still learning the system. Year two, you expect improvement. In year three, that's where the, you need to show that polish and you need to show snap in, snap out, um, series in, series out that you are you can be a difference maker for your team. Yeah, I agree. A good point. And sticking with the defensive line, this is my next takeaway. I'm not sure that the revamped defensive line this year in terms of personnel was better. And I think it's fair to ask if, Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson are better than what we saw from Vernon Butler, Quentin Jefferson, and Mario Addison. Now, look, Brandon Bean hits a lot more than he misses when it comes to building his roster. He's been fantastic, executive of the year. But this position feels like a miss to me this offseason. Because, again, Butler, Jefferson, Addison, and this is already starting to be talked about, Ryan. Any or all of these guys, realistically, not just potentially, but realistically, they could all three of these guys could get cut to save money in this offseason after just one season. And I know the cap shrinking has something to do with that. But regardless, any way you look at it, it's not good. Yeah, I'm going to say yes and no. And that's kind of a cop-out answer uh, in terms of is it fair to say that Phillips and Shaq would, or would be greater than the Butler, Jefferson, Addison. Yes, in terms of I think that they had extensive time in the system. They were getting better every year in the system. Uh, but no, in terms of look at what they were paid from Arizona and Miami, respectively, $10 million on average per year. Uh, I can tell you that neither player came close to living up to those contracts in their new homes. Uh, and I don't know how their contracts were built with their new teams because once they left, I didn't really look at it. But those are two guys that I wouldn't be shocked if uh, they were let go because they didn't come close to reaching those expectations. I think Shaq will be fine in Miami. But Jordan, you know, Jordan Phillips did not do much in terms of pressures, sacks, uh, like we saw in Buffalo. So Brendan Bean said, I can't pay you guys $10 million on average. I think he was very smart there. Uh, going to Buffalo's side with Butler, Jefferson, Addison, the rotation and experience are very important. And I know that Butler and Addison played under Eric Washington in Carolina, uh, but they, they weren't used to playing alongside the players on Buffalo's roster. And there was no offseason, no OTAs, no training camp, no preseason. They were just kind of thrown in. 
And I think as the season went on, the defensive line was playing better and better. That said, I think that Mario Addison, I think that maybe you can move on from him. I think that um, that wall that you were waiting to see what, when he would hit that nine sack average that you were seeing, I think yeah. he's hit that wall. I don't think that's happening anymore. Yeah, he only uh, had five this year. Yeah. He had nine and a half, nine and 11 his three years before that. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I think that you can move on. You could find someone similar price point, maybe a little bit cheaper, but find a younger guy that has more upside in free agency. And there's some names out there that, um, you know, I'll be getting into in an article here pretty soon that maybe would be a suitable replacement. Vernon Butler had some flashes. I think he could go. I, I think maybe you keep Quentin Jefferson. There's versatility there. You want to see what he can do in another year. But I, I get the point. But I think you you could look at Miami and you could look at Arizona and say, boy, those were bad contracts that uh, year one didn't work out for them either. Yeah, with Quentin Jefferson at eight million for that would be his twenty twenty one cap number. That's not a that's not an unreasonable number for a guy who's got some versatility. Uh, it should be known though that if the Bills do cut him, it wouldn't cost him any dead money. It would be all cap savings. Um. So all right. So let's move forward now. My next takeaway, we'll just gloss over this one because you kind of spoke on it a little bit. But Gabriel Davis, uh, my takeaway is he made John Brown far more expendable. And that's nothing against John Brown. It's nothing against his talent or his ability or his, you know, wanting to be here. It's literally about saving money in a year where the bills are not in good cap shape because Buffalo could save almost $8 million right now if they cut him. So sort of John Brown being willing to redo a deal, I, and which I don't know why he would do that. I, I, I think he'll be gone. Uh, I, so basically, let me get your thoughts on Gabriel Davis because this, a fourth round rookie, had 35 catches, seven touchdowns, almost 600 yards receiving. He was huge. After Josh Allen, you might say that Gabriel Davis was in second place for MVP again in that Indy playoff game. Those two toe dry catches before the half were huge for that Buffalo touchdown drive. Um, he was very good as a rookie. So I, I kind of want to get your take on him. Were you surprised that he contributed as much as he did as a rookie? And you talked about this earlier. No training camp or, or uh, abbreviated camp. No preseason. Yeah, so the first thing I'm going to say is I think Josh Allen made John Brown more expendable. And what I mean by that is he spread the ball around magnificently this year. Uh, sure. you know, Isaiah McKenzie, uh, Gabriel Davis, they, they got tight ends involved some weeks. Tyler Croft against the Rams, Dawson Knox as the year went on. Diggs obviously getting his looks, Beasley getting his looks. Um, uh, touchdown Jesus one week against the Broncos, getting his touchdown across the middle. He, he showed that he could get it to the open guy, um, which, you know, John Brown coming off a career year, obviously this year is disappointing with injuries. But, yeah, Gabriel Davis himself is, is ready for a bigger role in this offense. You mentioned it. Day three pick, deep wide receiver draft, and the Bills kind of said, listen, we, we already have a really good top three, but we'd be foolish not to add another wide receiver into this mix in such a deep class. And, and boy, did they hit on the guy that they selected in round four in Davis. And you knew that from a culture fit, Davis was going to be a, a great fit from, from day one because what's the first thing he did after the Bills selected him? He found a practice field and started running routes. And, and yeah. you know, it just it just spoke to the process. And he was such a process guy and such a, a perfect fit for this team. But, yeah, he put a lot of work in the season. He's not the same type of receiver uh, as John Brown, obviously, but he finds ways to get open. He's a very savvy route runner. 
Uh, he's really good at, along the sidelines that you mentioned against the Colts, but he did that a few times this season, the regular season too. He, he just seems to know, okay, Josh needs me to get open. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's where I'm going to go. And I'm going to expect Josh to be able to fire in a laser along the sidelines that only I can get. And it's my job to get it. And more times than not, as the season went on, he delivered in that area. So yeah, yeah. He, he was great. He, he exceeded expectations. Uh, now you're going to go into next year and you're going to say, okay, we can bring in some speed and free agency, some guys on the cheap. I already mentioned John Ross is an option. But then there's also guys on this roster. Isaiah Hodgins. He was When they drafted Isaiah Hodgins, there were some draft analysts that said, I thought Hodgins would go where Gabriel Davis went, and I thought Davis would go where Hodgins went. I remember uh, reading that. If, if that's the case, then boy, do we have a, a gem on our hands in Isaiah Hodgins you know, waiting in the mix because <laughs> – Gabriel Davis was legit, so you have him. You brought back Kumaro for a futures deal. You bring in uh, uh, Josh Allen's favorite target from Wyoming, a a guy that could come in and maybe contribute some snaps there. And and the list goes on and on. I still think Stills could return too. So they're going to do the same approach, in my opinion, to what they've done to the offensive line in the last few years. They're going to bring in a lot of guys at lower uh, price points and say, may the best five to six guys win, knowing full well that three of those guys are already there in in Diggs, in Beasley, in Gabriel Davis. If you bring back Isaiah McKenzie, maybe he's number four, and he's, uh, I I think he's done enough now in his, the last few years to prove that maybe he is more of a roster lock at this point too. Uh, But uh, I think he's earned some money as well, and he could leave in free agency. So, it's going to be interesting, but John Brown is expendable just because Josh Allen is so good that he's going to get it to the open receiver. I feel like if I had this podcast for 20 years and I've had you on every time this time of year for the last 20 years, this takeaway would be something that we would talk about each and every year. And that's this tight end remains an annual bills offseason need. Now Dawson Knox, you talked about him a little bit. 24 catches, 288 yards, three touchdowns. I saw a stat. Sal Capaccio put this on Twitter not too long ago. No Bills tight end this season had more than four catches or more than 64 yards in a game all season. Now, look, I know it wasn't that important at times because Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs had their thing and John Brown and Gabriel Davis, so I get it. But even Brandon Bean himself, who I thought was pretty transparent at his end-of-season presser, said that this position is pretty much no threat to opposing defenses. Defensive coordinators ain't losing sleep facing the Buffalo Bills tight ends. So that is pretty obvious without saying, but I, I guess what I want to get from you is a little insight on what you think they might do about it this offseason. Now, I know they got Darrell Williams. I know they got Feliciano. I know they got Matt Milano. I know they got their own guys to sign, and I know the cap situation is not ideal. That said. If there is one position that they may look to spend money on to fill a hole, do you think maybe it might be free agency? Because you do have Hunter Henry and Jonah Smith, uh, Gerald Everett's out there. Um, I'm not going to count Gronk. Gronk ain't playing anywhere else besides Bray, I promise you that. And Jared Cook, he's up there, but he's old. The point being is you see this as a position where they got to do something via free agency or a high draft pick because, I, I look, man, I'm not anti-Dawson Knox, but he ain't it. I want to get your thoughts. 
I, I'm not ready to say he's not it. And mm. I know that's going to blow your mind and it's going to upset some Bills fans. You, you mentioned Ed Oliver. Year three is his prove-it year. Year three is going to be a big prove-it year for Dawson Knox. They drafted this guy for his athletic traits, his athletic ability. He played in a college that did not utilize the tight end position. He blew everyone away at the combine. They said, boy, in terms of physical traits, physical ability, he's, and and again, this does not translate to stats. He's top 10 in terms of physically what he can do. He has not unlocked that yet. And he is what, he may be the biggest loser in not having an off season this year because he didn't get to work with Josh. He didn't get to have that second uh, offseason in this system and really get to work on his game and, and what he needed to do. But I think the traits are there. Now, should they go with him as tight end number one? Absolutely not. No. Don't go into this season saying he is going to be the guy. Add someone that not only pushes him but splits time with him that can make him better. And you mentioned some of those guys on the market. I would love a Hunter Henry. I think Hunter Henry is the same way in terms of athletic ability, but he's obviously proven it more in the NFL. Injuries are an issue there, though. I think that they're going to go with either a veteran that has a few good years left, and maybe that's a Zach Ertz. I think Zach Ertz becomes available. I think that uh, it's just a matter of time there in Philadelphia. And it wasn't that long ago that we talked about Zach Ertz as a top three tight end in this league. It might be a Kyle Rudolph, and this is not my Notre Dame bias speaking through. I think Kyle yes, Rudolph. Is. <laughs> I think Kyle Rudolph has a, a good two or three years left. He yeah. was in a system in Minnesota where one they run the ball a lot, and who wouldn't with Delvin Cook? Delvin Cook's a special player. Two, they have two superstars at wide receiver, especially in Justin Jefferson, a, a promising rookie. Uh, but they also have Adam Thielen. And three, they have a young tight end of their own that they're trying to bring along. So they started to phase him out a little bit to bring in Irv Smith. But he still ended up with 20-some receptions on 30-some targets. He was still a threat when they when they utilized him. He's already come out and said, I think I've, I deserve every penny of my contract, pretty much saying I'm not taking a pay cut. Either you're going to pay me my salary or you're going to let me go. And if they let him go, one, I think that Stefan Diggs is going to go to Brendan Bean and say, listen, this guy is like me at tight end. He wants to win. He'll do whatever it takes. And two, we've talked a lot about the cap situation this offseason. It's going to work both ways. It's going to be tough for teams to get under the cap. They're going to have some tough decisions to make. But it's also going to free up a lot of really talented players who are going to say, Give me a one-year deal where I can establish my value, and then when the cap goes up in 2022, I can make out either with this team or another team and get what's coming to me. So I think a Zach Ertz or a Kyle Rudolph would come to Buffalo for a chance to win a ring on a one-year $4 million deal, $5 million deal, somewhere in that price point where Buffalo can say, yeah, we can do this. We can make that work because... There's only so much money that teams can spend out there. And you, you're either going to say, do I want to go to Jacksonville in New England where, uh, yeah, Jacksonville is going to have Trevor Lawrence, but it, are they going to be a championship team in year one? Absolutely not. And if I'm signing a one-year deal, I don't want to go for to a, year, a place and waste another year of my career where I can't win a ring. 
New England, who the heck knows what they're going to do at quarterback? Go to Buffalo. Go to these teams where you can actually make a run in this one year. And, and then there's even guys in that middle tier, uh, and uh, Dan Arnold in Arizona, where he hurt the Bills a few times in that game. He made some big catches. He was not a focal point of that offense. But I think that he's a guy that's 25, I think he's about 25, 26 years old. Maybe he's a little older. I'd have to go look. Uh, where I think he had a career year this year. But if you bring him in to go alongside Dawson Knox, they could both benefit. So there are guys out there. I'm just not sure that they have the money to go crazy with a Hunter Henry or a Jonu Smith. But I think you could bring in a veteran and convince them on a one-year deal that you could compete for a ring this year, reestablish your value with Josh Allen, number two in MVP voting. You mentioned that already. And really then, in 2022, they can get their money from Buffalo or somewhere else. You know what, Ryan? You bring up a very strong point that's not discussed enough. So you take a team like Buffalo, because that's the team that we focus on, fans, I should say, focus on. And yeah, you might lose John Brown. You might lose a, uh, you might lose a Mitch Morse. You, you might lose uh, maybe a Quinn and Jefferson. These are guys who could play and the moves would be made because of cap reasons. Well, the Bills are one of several teams that are going to be facing these types of decisions. And you're 100% right. That's going to result in a lot of guys out there who get cut. And they're going to be looking for prove-it deals. So that's a great point. And another thing, and again, it's just, I don't know, maybe it's just being a Bills fan for as long as I have. My mind's just not trained yet to have a free agent say, I want to go to Buffalo because... I want a legitimate chance to win a Super Bowl ring. I'm used to free agents saying to themselves, you know, I want to go to Buffalo because they're going to pay me more than anyone else. Or I want to go to Buffalo because nobody else wants me. And it's either go to Buffalo or I'm not going to be playing in the NFL. But it's different now because now a quality player, like say an equivalent of John Brown, a receiver from another team who might get cut for the same reasons. And he's looking for a one-year prove-it deal. You got an MVP caliber quarterback in Buffalo with Josh Allen. They're a good team, 13-3, and three, a chance to win a ring. So that that matters. That's motivation. That's a big advantage to to have your to a selling point being that, hey, we're on the verge of being a Super Bowl team right now, and that's not talked about enough. So that's a great point, Ryan, for sure. Um, I, all right, so I got two more things here. One of them, again, we don't really need much discussion, but special teams. Uh, I, my takeaway is it was a big asset, and I really don't need to see changes going forward. Corey Borkas was great. He only punted, I think, 40 times, but he was good. Um, Tyler Bass was good, minus a few hiccups. I think he's going to get even better. He's one. He had great stats. I think he did he break Steve Christie's record this year or tie it as a rookie. Um, his stats were great. Uh, coverage was good. Returns were good. I would try to keep this unit intact. Now, I know Andre Roberts and Taiwan Jones are unrestricted free agents, but if all things are equal and, and they have an opportunity, you're good with having this entire unit back, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, I, I did see Tyler Medikevich mentioned as one of those uh, cut candidates because you could save about $3 million. Sure. Uh, I, I think they do like him, though, a lot. I think that uh, he still, he, he does what, he, you know, he did what he was supposed to do here. So, yeah, in, in an ideal world, there, there's no one that I would get rid of on that, this unit. They, they perform very well. Uh, you do have some tough decisions to make, though, uh, in terms of Andre Roberts. Uh, I, I think he is still great as a return man, but we just talked about the receiver position and we talked about how the Bills can really only carry about six of them on a given year because Roberts is taking up that seventh spot. 
do you want to keep you doing it and and, and that way or do you want to find someone that has some returnability whether that's a, a rookie that you could bring in in this draft because it's another deep class where I think you could find a guy in the middle rounds that could come in and, and claim that last receiver spot, but also be your return man as a rookie. Do you want to find uh, someone at a lower price point that's more of a receiver, but is also pretty good as a return man? And and I have nothing negative to say about Andre Roberts. He flipped the field a lot for Buffalo, a lot this year, and gave them great field position. But it, But it's also telling that in his two years here, he hasn't returned one touchdown you give Isaiah McKenzie one game against Miami as a as a returner, and yeah. he gets it done. I'm not saying that McKenzie is the answer. I'm not saying that you should expect touchdowns from your returners every year because it's a lot easier said than done. Uh, but it, it really depends on what Roberts is looking for at this point in his career and what Buffalo's rationale is in terms of how they want to utilize their personnel. But, yeah, in terms of what they did this year, absolutely no reason to change anything there. Last point I got here, my last takeaway is, and I modified this after the Super Bowl. Okay, So before the Super Bowl, my takeaway was the Bills are a very good team, but they're screwed being in the AFC with Kansas City. And even as early, or I should say as late as a couple hours before kickoff, I was talking to my buddy before the game and I told him, I said, you know, so I grew up a Knicks fan and in the 90s, I'm like, the Knicks were a very good basketball team. But the Chicago Bulls were in the Eastern Conference and the Knicks could never get past them. Not when Jordan played anyway. And I could say the Kansas City Chiefs to me right now are the Chicago Bulls. I said, this is the best team in the NFL. They're a dynasty and nobody's beating them. So my, my take was the Bills are, were screwed. Well, Michael Jordan and the Bulls never got their asses handed to them in a championship final like the you know, like Kansas City did Sunday. So that that's kind of off the table. So I'm going to modify this slightly and say, bad Super Bowl aside, Kansas City's still the Buffalo Bills measuring stick. Now you talked a little bit about matchups and some teams are built to play well against other teams like the Bills with Baltimore or Cleveland, who frankly should have beat Kansas City in that playoff game, especially after Mahomes went out. And uh, I think at the end of the day, that they have to try to build a team that ultimately is going to beat Kansas City. Now, maybe you don't agree with that. Uh, that's what I'm interested in knowing is your take. Because again, like you talked about, with the Cleveland being a good matchup, a lot of Cleveland fans were in your ear. What, what is it going to take to beat the Kansas City Chiefs? And again, bad Super Bowl aside, are they still the measuring stick for you? Yeah, they're absolutely still the measuring stick. Because if you look across this AFC landscape, they're the team that most likely is going to be in Buffalo's way every single year in, ter- on, in terms of making the Super Bowl. Uh, AFC East, there's no other team there yet. Uh, I don't trust Miami's quarterback situation. I need to see a lot more from Tua. So obviously the Jets and the Patriots, I'm not ready to even consider them as, as contenders right now either, which you know that's kind of wild to say with the Patriots in terms of their success over the years. Uh, you move on to the North. Uh, Pittsburgh, they, they fell apart at the end of the year. Ben Roethlisberger is coming back again uh, this season. I think that he is, you know, he's like Breeze. I think he doesn't realize that his days are done. He can still have those flashes, those moments. I don't consider them a Super Bowl contender. I think that uh, the Bills are already beat, uh, built to beat the Ravens. I think there's still a lot of question marks about the Ravens. And, and not so much because of Lamar Jackson. 
I, at this point, I hate to do it, but I'm going to start pointing the finger a little bit at Greg Roman. He's got to take the training wheels off this offense and give him a shot to be a quarterback. You can't uh, expect to run around like they did in the regular season and expect Jackson to grow. So I'm not sold on that team. I'm not sold on the Browns. The Browns, and again, uh, you know, Browns fans hate me right now because I had that article about McDermott being coach of the year, but I'm not sold on the Browns. I can't be. I know they lost to the Jets when half their team was dealing with COVID issues. They had no receivers, but they they beat the Jacksonville Jaguars by two points. They swept the NFC East, which I think most teams could have done this past season. Uh, in their own division, they went 3-3. Three and three. They were swept by the Ravens. They split with Pittsburgh. Uh, they did have some impressive wins. I'll give them credit for that. They, they did beat the Titans in the regular season. But I'm just not sold on that team being a, a year-in, year-out competitor. The South, same thing. I need to see what the Colts do at quarterback. The Texans are a mess. Jacksonville is going to be a few years with Trevor Lawrence if they build that the right way. Um, and Tennessee, you know, yeah, they're going to be maybe that that third team that could be a threat to Buffalo year-in, year-out in the playoffs. But Kansas City is it. Until I see more from the Chargers and Justin Herbert, Kansas City is that team that's going to be there. So Buffalo needs to figure some things out. They need to get a tight end eraser, uh, someone that can take Travis Kelsey out of the game. So maybe that's uh, Hamza Nazrilladeen. I have trouble saying his name. He's a prospect in this year's draft. And there's another, there's a few other guys that could be that tight end eraser, that big nickel that I thought Buffalo really wanted to get in this past year's draft when uh, Kyle Duggar was all the talk and all the rage. I think there was legitimate interest there. They need to figure out, can we beat them in a zone defense? Can, or do we have to be man-to-man? They need to get more pressure up front. But yes, it, long story short, Kansas City is still the measuring stick because that is the team that's going to be the biggest threat to them every year in terms of blocking their path to the Super Bowl. Obviously, there's going to be some roster change and the Bills are going to need to add a little bit. But generally speaking, you look at this roster, Does it is it built right now? Does it have what it takes to beat the Kansas City Chiefs? And is it a fact that, I mean, the Bills probably, they're not probably, their two worst games of the 2020 season were both against the Chiefs. They just, frankly, for whatever reason, didn't play well. Do you think it's just a matter of we got to get better and we didn't play well? Or is there just some things about this roster that you could play the Chiefs 20 times and they're not going to beat them at all as things stand unless they make significant changes? Or do you think that they do have the roster to beat them right now with a little bit of tinkering and they just got to find a way to play better? No, I don't think they do have the rest right now. I think the the front four is the biggest issue, and I know I said that uh, some gelling needs to be take place there, for, especially with some of those new faces. Uh, but uh, I think you need a di- difference maker on the edge, uh, coming off the edge, and they don't have that right now. Mario Addison is not that guy anymore. Jerry Hughes is a very solid defensive end and edge rusher, uh, but he's not that guy. They don't have. Uh, that defensive end that can that can get ten sacks right now and can cause consistent pressure. You saw the what the front four of Tampa Bay could, did last night. Buffalo does not have that. So right now, uh, you know, I, I think you, they could pick up a fluke win here or there, uh, like they almost did in the regular season, where you thought they, that Justin Zimmer stripped the ball and they would have been within a one score. It would have been a one score game with them having the ball late, but. In terms of they can go in there and do what Tampa Bay did to Kansas City? No, absolutely not. They're not there right now. They need to find uh, a few pieces, but it starts in the front four. Are there any Bills takeaways for the season, significant ones that you think I missed, like a couple that you may have that we didn't really hit on? 
Well, the linebacker position, I mentioned Tremaine Edmonds in terms of this upcoming year being huge for him because, it's, you know, after this upcoming year, you can't use the age factor anymore. He's only 22, this, that, or the other. Uh, he was out of place at times this past season, but at the same time, the defensive line, I think, uh, caused some of those issues. He wasn't able to roam free if, like he did a little bit last year when they had started to lay up front. So I'm interested there. But then obviously Matt Milano. Matt Milano is the big talk. Uh, there was a report last week that he wants big money. I don't. I think that, if anything, that came from his agent, obviously. Matt Milano is a very quiet guy. He's not going to be a guy that comes out and says that. Um, but, you know, Buffalo needs to figure out what to do there. I think that he is their number one priority, but they also have a set price point like we've seen in the past. We want you back, but it's got to be at this price. We have no wiggle room. Does Matt Milano want to come back on a one-year deal and say, hey, I want to come back. I think we're close to winning a championship. I can get my money from you guys next year when the cap goes up. Or should I go out and, and cash in now? Jacksonville can offer me this much money. New England can offer me this much money. I'm just using those two as examples based on cap space. I don't know if you sure. need a, a a linebacker like Milano. You'd think any team would want a linebacker like Milano. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that's the big thing. It, it, Milano in terms of what they can do there. If the Bills are in a position where they prioritize signing one or two free agents, whether it's Milano or Dale Williams. And obviously I think Milano will attract more money if they both get to the open market. Which one do you think they're more likely to make a stronger push to sign? Oh, that's so tough because, you know, at the end of the day, you're building around Josh Allen and, and Daryl Williams for that reason you think would be the number one priority. Uh, but I just think that they know how important Matt Milano is to this defense. He's been in the system since day one with Sean McDermott. He, you know, they were 12 and one within this season, regular season, postseason. And I think that obviously wasn't just because Milano was in the lineup, um, but he, he does. He he helps that, that unit. He helps that defense. He can make plays on the ball. Uh, he has the athleticism to run guys down in the, uh, sideline to sideline. So uh, I guess at the end of the day, if I had to choose one of them being their number one priority, it would be Milano. Okay. Uh, before I let you go, so obviously, congratulations, man. Great success. Uh, the first season, first full season, I should say, of you and Matt with the podcast. It's done very well. Um, what I want to ask you is this. How long did it take you? Now, you've been doing for quite a while. I've had you on this podcast several times going back almost to the start a couple of years ago. So it's not like you haven't done podcasting before. You've been a guest often as a writer on several shows, but now you have your own with you and Matt. How long did it take you to get completely comfortable, like going in front of the camera and being live on social media platforms? Because look, it's one thing to do a podcast as a guest or even as a host. And we're talking like we are right now. You know, we hooked up through some computer software and we're talking audio. You know, you can sit in the living room in your underwear if you want and chat for 90, 60, 90 minutes and do a podcast. It's another animal when A, you're live and B, you're in front of a camera. You know what I mean? So like, how long did it take you to get comfortable with that process of doing that for your show? It, it did take a little while. Like you mentioned, the, the live aspect, you know, Matt and I having to bounce questions back and forth to the guests, uh, keep up with the live chat, try to get those guys in, involved in it too. You know, I, I still have a long, I, I have a lot of room to grow, so I'll be the first to admit that. I, I feel like Matt and I, though, have a great rapport and, and it's been great. But I'm not going to sit here and say, hey, we have the greatest podcast in the world because I know I can get better. Matt is a seasoned pro. He's unbelievable. He 
Um, a lot of the times is the one that um, comes up with a lot of the questions. He is a pro's pro. He has a lot of experience doing this, though, the video background from the UFC. So I lean on him a lot, and I couldn't ask for a better uh, host for the show. So, you, you know, we've come a long way, but I, the, the best is yet to come. I'll say that. Well, last question here. It, you've had some really cool guests on during the season, both football and otherwise away from football. Like who have been a couple of your personal favorite guests? Oh, that's a great question. I, I was blown away with Chad Michael Murray. Um, definitely not just one of those slubs that throws on gear and says he's a Bills fan. He's a diehard. He knows everything about that team. Dana White was such a cool guest to get. You know, one of that Matt's was really cool. Yeah, one of Matt's connections there. So that was unbelievable. But I, I do love having these former players on. And, and you know, we've had some great uh, for, guests in terms of Bill's players. And, and Eric Wood is unbelievable. He's made such a, a smooth transition to the media side of things. I love having Jeremiah Searles on. We've had him on multiple times. He's so good at what he does. So I, I just like it across the board. And then we've had some just phenomenal local media, too. Uh, getting them on week in, week out. Buffalo is very, I think we're a very lucky market if you're a Bills fan because there's so much talent uh, across the board, whether you're talking writers, uh, whether you're talking news. I love having uh, the, the people from the news, the other, the other writers on. I just think that across the board, this is such a talented uh, media market. It is. And again, you guys have done a great job. So you have a Wednesday live show. You guys are still going to do that in the off season. Yeah, every you know, pretty much every week. I can't say every week. There might be a week here or there where something comes up. We have to take a week off. But uh, we, we've gotten to our groove having our live Wednesday night shows, so we plan to keep that up throughout the off season as well. That's awesome, man. Good stuff. All right, everyone, give Ryan a follow on Twitter at Ryan Talbot Bills. Check it out, the podcast. By the way, on YouTube, they have their own channel now specific to that podcast. It's Buffalo Bills on New York Up. So go follow that and subscribe. Thank you very much as always. And uh, yeah, just keep up the great work, dude. You're doing awesome, man. Hey, thanks for having me on. All right, folks, that is going to do it for this episode. Very big thank you again, Ryan Talbot, NewYorkUp.com, Bill's writer and podcaster, man. Check him out at Ryan Talbot Bills on Twitter. Thank you very much again, Ryan. Guys, if you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, please go ahead and do that right now. Rate and review, all that fun stuff. It really helps me continue to grow this show. Follow us on YouTube, Talk About Flow Podcast YouTube channel. I'm going to have highlight clips from current and past episodes up. Some original content coming really soon that you'll only find on that channel. Won't get it anywhere else. Not even this podcast. And of course, last but not least, follow me on Twitter, at Pamoran tweets. That's my spot, man. I'm on Twitter all the time. So thank you very, very much for listening. I say it all the time. There's so many great shows out there today. Shows like Ryan and Matt's show. So when you're locked into this one and giving it some of your time, it really means a lot to me. And I'm very grateful. So thank you very much. Have a safe week. I'll be back. Brand new episode on Friday. I'm going to have Jess Williams from Channel 4.